I'm your host Raphael, and today I have a special guest. Well, actually, he's like the every uh, every guest. Yeah. <laughs> he's on all the time. Um, it's the bro Anthony AC Spotlight Nine Five on Twitter. Anthony, how are you doing today? Um, it's crazy, man. I'm I'm feeling good. Everything is good. Had to at least talk a little bit about some of the wackiness that happened in the NBA today. I woke up to. Phil Jackson being gone from the Knicks, and I thought that was going to be the main storyline of the day, but as it turns out, we got something even bigger than that. Well, most indef- most definitely, I just said most indefinitely, but, um, <laughs> you know, I think it, it's crazy, so I, I guess I might as well start off by just saying, uh, like you said, a trade happened, the Knicks, I mean, not the Knicks, the, the Rockets and the Clippers made a deal, Chris Paul opted into his into the last year of his contract and he you know made a choice he went with the uh, with the winners i guess i don't know or the team that's really that that is climbing up the contender charts right now in the nba the houston rockets uh so the clippers traded uh chris paul to the rockets for patrick beverly sam decker montres harrell Darren Hilliard, DeAndre Liggins, Lou Williams, Kyle Wilcher, and a future first-round draft pick. Oh, and cash considerations. So this trade had a lot of manipulations that needed to be made in terms of the cap. The Rockets made several trades throughout the day to acquire non-guaranteed contracts like Tim Quarterman from the Blazers. They acquired... Uh, Sean Long from the Sixers, Darren Hillier from the Pistons, DeAndre Liggins from Dallas, and, you know, they included some, not every one of these guys, but they included some of these guys in the, in, in the trade to make the math work in, this, in, the, in terms of the salary cap. Now, for Chris Paul, the rumors, I guess, from reporters is that he, that he met with the Clippers yesterday and they didn't want to offer him the full five-year deal because he would have been making, I think, somewhere around $50 million at the age of 37 in the last year of the contract. So it was it, the Clippers chose not to hamstring themselves with a heavy salary to, a, to what would be an aging roster that would also leave them without the chance to build solid core around their group of stars. And so they opted to, you know, get rid of somebody who had spent six years with the Clippers, had a lot of success. I know a lot of people criticize Chris Paul for not winning necessarily. But he brought that franchise from terrible to 50 wins pretty much every year. Actually, yeah, they had a 50% 50-win 50 type of percentage, at least even in that one year during the lockout, that um, they, you know, that there were 66 games that year and they didn't win 50. But... For the Clippers, it's a it's a big step backwards. You can't replace someone like him and Chris Paul, a great point guard, one of the greatest point guards of all time. And they are left with a lot of questions. Resigning Blake Griffin, who opted out of his contract. What are they going to do with DeAndre Jordan? J.J. Redick is a free agent. So it leaves their, their, their core four, their four best players, 
it leaves them with a lot of questions about what they're going to do and how they're going to sort of pivot away from what they've been doing the previous five or six years as a, a loosely a, a contender in the uh, NBA, probably one of the top five or six teams for the past five or six years. So, you know, it's tough for the Rockets. I think a lot of people question whether James Harden is going to fit in with Chris Paul and what's going to happen with that sort of team and you know they both need the ball and and it's they're gonna be a lot of questions so when you when you're looking at this trade yourself when you hear about it Chris Paul for all of these uh, random spare parts but uh, what what do you think about the trade from both sides well from the Clipper side I'm sure the impetus once um, as Wolge reported earlier that uh, Chris Paul had gone to their uh, management and said that he was going to sign in Houston uh, during free agency and the impetus to get a deal done. Um, it was good for them in the sense that they they got a uh, first-round pick from the deal uh, next year. I know it's top three protected, but still, for the most part, uh, you got to get, you know, you got to get at least as much as you can for Chris Paul. And this short of a window with free agency about to start, the Clippers did as good as good as they could possibly do considering the circumstances. Um, obviously, it's a reset for them, at least in, in some way, shape, or form. We have to still see what happens to Blake Griffin. I mean, I would think that that the, the odds of him staying probably have gone down a little bit. And um, they may be going in a completely different direction unless, you know, he decides to take a little less money, which I don't think he's going to do. And Well, so I, we'll I don't know. We'll, do, we'll, we, go ahead. do we know the Clippers' met, uh, motives or, met, or what they're planning on doing? I don't think that that's a guarantee that he's going to, going to leave. And I don't think it's a guarantee that they're going to offer him less money. I think it's more so, are they going to offer him the fifth year? which is the biggest difference for any, you know, superstar free agent is the five years versus the four years and the raises that come annually. Uh-huh. So, I don't know. I think that's the tough. That, I think, is the more, like, you don't know what they're going to do, but it's more so if they offer him the full five years, that's more so the problem. If they don't, then it opens up that, you know, for for Boston or Miami or one of these other teams that might be interested in him that they can at least compete with the Clippers' offer of five years. See, I see what you're saying, uh, and and that part of it I, I completely get. If I'm them, though, I don't know if I... I don't know if I re-sign him and give him five years max, considering not only his injury history, but the fact that, you know, he's by the end of that contract, he'll obviously be into his 30s. And if you, if you already have uh, given up Chris Paul... And you're not going to be contending. And if you're not going to be able to necessarily build around Blake very quickly to get back to contending, I'm not sure if it makes sense to keep him. That's just my just just my view, and I could be wrong. Well, but, um, well, that's not the point of whether you could be wrong, but <laughs> no, no, no. I but no, but think about it like this. But think about it like this. They can have a different uh, modus operandi and uh, do something a little different. Do something different in terms of. Maybe really wanting to keep him and and uh, try and build around him. I just don't see that happening. Um, I and also I would I would 
they look at the, the tea leaves on the on the wall, and assuming that J.J. Redick is not coming back either. And um, after this season, I think DeAndre has an opt-out. It's, it, I mean, the cover is going to be bare in that sense. So I, I, I'm just looking at it like just the odds, the odds of this move and what's to come of it. Maybe the Clippers have actually decided to go in a different direction, but of course that remains to be seen. But continuing on, uh, listen, I know a lot of people have done the whole, well, you know, there's too many, you know, there's only one basketball and and that stuff with Harden and CP3 in terms of their usage and their time of possession individually. I think it'll take a while to iron out. That'll be fun to watch. But if you watched the playoffs last year and what happened to Harden in the San Antonio series, I think it's pretty obvious that he needed another ball handler on the team that could take some pressure off of him. And and Chris Paul has the potential to be that guy in Mike D'Antoni's system. It'll be interesting to see how uh, we integrate with each other. But you have two guys on the court at the same time that can run pick and roll with, you know, with Capella or, you know, depending on if Ryan Anderson is still there, you can, you can run pick and roll with him, pick and pop with him. And and I think one thing that happened to the, the Rockets last year in the playoffs, especially against the Spurs, when the Spurs decided to try and take away both the three-pointer and the stuff at the rim, is the Rockets heavily relied on all of those things throughout the, throughout the regular season. And they're not a... a too much of a mid-range uh, jump-shooting team. I-, I applaud them for it. You, If you want to get that talent, you have to go get it any way, shape, or uh, form possible. And they were able to do it. Now we'll see if they can continue on and make another move uh, to continue to make themselves better and uh, make themselves a real legitimate threat to the Golden State Warriors. If they kept Blake, it wouldn't be... I wouldn't consider them a complete... Uh, non-playoff team um, if if they kept Blake and they kept DeAndre, even if they lost J.J. Redick. So I think that's the, the you know, we don't know what's going to happen. But, yeah, with, on Houston's side, I, I, I'm i interested to see just how that fit works. You know, if they play, like, I mean, it feels like one of them is always going to be on the court at every time, which I think will be important for them because to have 48 minutes of either James Harden or Chris Paul as your point guard or main ball handler is is definitely an advantage for any team. So I'm I'm excited for that. Now you did mention at the end that they might acquire somebody else and and whatever. Do you see, foresee that? I know a lot of people brought up Paul George and Carmelo Anthony is and Paul Millsap was brought up today too. Like, do you do you foresee that that happening? Do you think that I mean, it, obviously, it's it's gonna be really hard to figure that out. It's not a guarantee that any, that another piece is gonna be added. But do you think that if they add a Paul George, a Paul Millsap, a Carmelo Anthony, that it puts them in even a better position to compete with Golden State, or does it not really? Hmm. Paul George, yes. The others, I don't know. I, I would have to say probably not if it was the, if it was a uh, Millsap or Anthony. Uh, Millsap obviously could, you know, has a little bit more versatility defending, but he's getting up there in age as well as Carmelo. 
Paul George really is the guy. If you want to talk about really competing with Golden State, especially on both sides of the ball, having another guy who could not only shoot from long range, get his own shot, and defend the other team's best player, Paul George is the guy. Now, that's going to be a little bit harder considering that, you know, there are a lot of teams angling for his services. And probably teams like Boston uh, could offer something most likely better than what Houston can. So I think it's going to be difficult for them to get the whale in Paul George. But if you want to talk about maybe Carmelo, we'll see. And we'll talk more about him in a little bit. But I could see Carmelo. That could happen. Um, And Millsap, you never know, considering the fact that even though Atlanta was so dead set on saying that they were going to resign him, kind of went back on that a couple of weeks ago. So that remains to be seen as free agency is uh, coming upon us. But... Paul George, I feel like that's a more of an outside chance. If they ever got him, then we'd really be talking about something really interesting in the West. But if they got Carmelo, I mean, it would help in some ways to take the pressure off of Bold Harden and uh, CP3 scoring. Um, him finding a way to uh, mesh with D'Antoni would be interesting considering the fact that they had a lot of trouble the first time around. But... It's a, it w- it's a lot easier to sell when you have two players the uh, with the credibility and cachet of uh, CP3 and James Harden. What do you think Houston has to do to, outside of, you know, acquiring a superstar, but what do you think Houston has to do? Into, what are they missing now with this acquisition? Like, you know, you have two great ball handlers, two, a great scorer in Harden, a, a pretty great scorer in Chris Paul himself. And they're both very good passers. What do you think Houston needs the most to add to their roster uh, going into the next season? Well, I think it. Well, I would say first of all, internally, I think with CP3 on the team, I think Harden can't get a really, really much of more, much more of a pass anymore on not playing defense uh, to the level that maybe he might be more capable of. Uh, due to the fact that CP3 will not only probably be a little more in his ear about playing defense, but the fact that Harden will play better, it's just, it's like you can understand it, but he's had so many just egregious uh, lapses on the defensive end that it's been very difficult to watch at times, except if you want to laugh at him. Continuing on as far as James Harden and the Houston Rockets are concerned, uh, get what they're what we should expect them to look for in the rest of the offseason. Depending on we have to see what happens with Nene and his injury. If he's gonna if he's gonna be um, okay, if he's and if they're gonna resign him, I think from a front court standpoint with Capella and Nene, I think you have what you need there, uh, but. It's good. Well, now with Harden and CP3 there, you don't have to worry too much about a backup point guard, and you still have Eric Gordon, so that's another ball handler that you could use. Um, if you want to really talk about competing with Golden State, a good portion of that has to do with what's on the wings. So they may need another type of wing player, wing defender that's so versatile and could, you know, not only guard Clay but guard KD a little bit. Now Ariza is like one of those guys, but they need more than just him. So who they target uh, should be interesting. 
which is again why we go back to the the whale and Paul George if they could ever get him, then I think that would answer a lot of their their questions in terms of what they need. But uh, in terms of on the perimeter point guards, they're fine there. Uh, they may get like a like another backup or uh, somebody else that they could somebody else that they could use in a pinch. But with CP3 and Harden having most of the ball handling. Uh, uh, capabilities and uh, distribution time, then uh, they're not in too much of a pinch as far as that's concerned. So we'll see what happens there. That, that'll be interesting, but um, a lot of it hinges on if they could, you know, make the impossible happen and get Paul George. And then maybe if they get him, then they can elevate themselves into that same stratosphere to give themselves a shot at uh, competing with the Warriors. So I guess we'll call Daryl Morey Captain Ahab going after his Moby Dick, which is Paul George. Um, yeah, so, okay, so I think we talked a good amount about the trade and, you know, what's going to happen for the Rockets in the future and if everything will work out and if every if they'll win 12 championships, probably not. But, oh, you know, actually, another thing, actually just thinking about it, the his contract situation. Now, he, him opting in only creates more complications for Houston, while it's a great swing big move for them, they have to really consider, are they going to pay him like that too? Because by him opting in and being traded, he can still sign the same kind of contract next summer. So, what, how is, if he he wasn't willing to take it from the Clippers, how is he going to be willing to take it from the Rockets if they don't necessarily, you know, they, I think the only way that he might take less money or take less years as if they win a championship or something and both teams, you know, off of that high and that happiness, you're willing to sort of come to some kind of agreement. Whereas if, like, let's say they have a disappointing season and lose in the second round again to, like, the Spurs or somebody, what is going to happen? Like, he's going to want the same kind of contract and it would. I don't know if Houston is going to be willing to, or maybe they are if they're willing to trade for him. But, well, but what well, do you I think do about have, that? About the complications? A, a conspiracy theory yeah. for you that has been floated out there today. Um, obviously, after next season, Chris Paul can be a free agent. After next season, LeBron James could be a free agent. After next season, Carmelo Anthony could be a free agent, and after next season, Dwayne Wade could be a free agent too. What do those things all mean? <laughs> So he's the le- they're leaving Houston? Crew. It could happen. It's a possibility. The conspiracy is on. Oh, who would have ever thought that we would get to this stage where all four of them would be free agents? And and I don't know. I mean, you never know. The Dwayne Wade and Carmelo situations are very fluid with both of their respective franchises. And then, of course, all the rumors with LeBron and where he might go and stuff like that. And then, of course, Chris Paul. So it is interesting if this turns out, if this is a one-year flame-out, what could happen? What are the possibilities? Well, I find it an interesting story, like, in the sense that, you know, the, they all are high-profile names, they're all great friends, banana boat, yada, yada, yada. But at the same time, like, that team is not going to win. And so it's sort of, for me, is not, is not, I think it's more of an interesting story than it is an actual interesting, like, basketball thing, like, in terms of winning, so... <laughs> that's the part I struggle with because I can't see a group with those four players actually like winning 
anything. No, it's a fair. It's a fair point. It's a fair point for sure. So and yeah, so okay. So speaking of Carmelo Anthony, the Knicks. We've talked about the Clippers, Rockets trade ad nauseum. The the Knicks fired. Well, I don't want to say. Well, they did fire. I mean, him and and James Dolan agreed to a mutual parting of the ways, and it was long overdue. I mean, we just spent last week on the podcast talking about all the mistakes he's made and you know him trying to trade Chris Stapp's Porzingis and and trying to trade Carmelo Anthony and trying to do this and trying to do that and install a triangle and I think after a while people were frustrated now with James Dolan it's it's frustrating to think that they both had a mutual opt-out a couple of months ago and they both did nothing they let it pass by and and didn't use any of that clause to you know get out of Phil's contract and now two months later it's like sort of an agreement to pay him his money and then just let him leave and it I mean it's an interesting choice by Dolan at this point especially too during the during the NBA offseason literally what we're in around a Wednesday so two days before teams are allowed to negotiate and, and negotiate contracts with upcoming free agents this summer. Also, just a week removed from the draft, a pick that Phil made because he felt that this guy fits the triangle, which is not going to be run. The Knicks are playing in summer league on Saturday, so that means that you know who's who knows what style of play they're going to be playing in an important uh, time for the for the franchise because. You're gonna have young players like your draft pick. I think he's play. I don't know what their their roster. I haven't looked up the rosters. Maybe I'll look up look it up right now. But you know your draft pick is playing. You have young players like Ron Baker, Chasen Randall, Maurice Endor, guys who you know are looking for that stability after last year of, of you know going through the triangle and then not the triangle and then the triangle, and so for. For now, at this point, without really establishing anything, two or three days before Summer League 2, that's a problem. So, you know, why now? What do you think about this time, the timing of this? Oh, it's weird because it's like, it's such a it's such a bittersweet day. But then it ends up being really bitter because it's the Knicks and everything that they do has some type of bitterness to it. And... It was amazing that, you know, you hear the reports from Ian Bagley and Ramona Shelburne about how Dolan was embarrassed that all of the stuff that was said, you know, all the, the murmurs you hear throughout the league, people don't want to come to the Knicks, and Phil, you know, mishandling Carmelo and Porzingis and all that other stuff, and it's just, it feels like, it does feel like, like Dolan, even when he does something that, you know, what a lot of the fans clamor for, at the same time, it still has that weird Knicks feel of it just being messy and uh, disruptive. Because ultimately, you can make the argument that Phil left things uh, worse than when he got there. And then on top of that, as you just alluded to, with the fact that he uh, probably was not going to be there beyond these next two seasons anyway. For him to be so stubborn and continue on with the triangle stuff, the Knicks would have just started running something completely different as soon as he left anyway. 
So everything that's happened along with that, and it looks pretty bad. You, you can't, you know, you can't say anything otherwise than, oh, it's like weird because it's like, yeah, Phil is gone and you feel good that, you know, you don't have to hear about the triangle anymore. But then at the same time, what are you left with? And um, how are they going to rebuild this team? And James Dolan is still the owner. So it's like, it's funny how Dolan um, was basically using Phil as a human shield now that shield is gone. And, you know, the fans' ire, this is going to, the, the fans being happy with Dolan is going to last only so long. Very irritating. What else is new? It's the Knicks. It's Ajita. It's all the time. So, it, it's... Well, not from what we, not from, well, that Carmelo thing is very fluid. Because you keep hearing that even despite Phil being gone, and even despite everything that uh, are close to Carmelo, is that the Knicks are still actually trying to move him. I know Woj said that earlier, that the Knicks, uh, despite what's happened today, will still try and move him in a trade if possible. But at this point, it's gonna. I think the only way Carmelo would accept leaving the Knicks is with a buyout, which it seems like Dolan is not willing to do. So like the stare so that's down why that I don't think into the stare down that Melo and Dolan will have, and I think that'll be interesting to see, you know how that that how that uh, plays out. So like well, when you're talking about style, all right, they hired Jeff Hornacek. One of the things that Jeff Hornacek is good at, which we saw in Phoenix for the first uh, season before things went haywire there, uh, good uh, spread the spread the floor, pick and roll. And we'll see if any of these guys, um, well, if uh, who they drafted in, uh, at the point guard position, whether you know they can run that type of offense. And I don't want to see Derrick Rose back on this team, and I want to see uh, Porzingis uh, not marginalized on offense. Uh, let's use him, uh, you know, as long as he's healthy, continue his development. That should be the goal. Um, in terms of Noah. It, it, I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen there and how they're going to deal with either trying to move that contract or trying to play him or, you know, however that goes. But at this point, that's already, it's amazing how that turned into a sunk cost so early. And then, obviously, you have Courtney Lee, which, you know, who's always in, in rumors of trading for somebody. Um, I know also, you know, another rumor is the Knicks may be interested in Ricky Rubio and the Wolves allegedly are trying to trade him. So that may be something that's worth looking at. But this team still needs to continue to rebuild and get younger. And that's really the way that they should go. And it, the, the Carmelo factor, at least for another season, uh, still, you know, holds its head over the whole Knicks franchise. So until they get that aspect, they got one huge aspect um, out of the team because I – I feel like you couldn't. It was even when I talked to you the other day. You couldn't evaluate. You couldn't evaluate the Knicks properly, and now with uh, Phil gone and Carmelo still there, he, I think you still can't even evaluate the Knicks properly until the Melo situation is figured out as well. Well, then that's going to be really hard. Yeah, because, you know, you made that point, and I don't know, I, if there is such a stalemate, then I don't know if he's really going to get traded, because nobody wants him. It's the reality of it, and that's just... <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, trade. that's why it's like, it's going to be difficult. Like, the only thing I could see is if in a buyout situation, 
if that ever uh, ever happened, and maybe Houston would get involved, or maybe he want to go to Houston or go to Cleveland, and maybe they'd be uh, interested. But besides that, I see this is where Phil destroying his the asset of Carmelo and destroying his value throughout the last couple of seasons has really torpedoed the Knicks' chances of moving him in a way that's conducive to the franchise being successful. This might sound so, this might sound crazy, but I don't blame Phil for that all the way. I think that Phil was wrong for what he said, and I think that it did hurt it. It made it worse. I think it compounded the situation. But I think outside of Phil, Carmel doesn't have a lot of value. I mean, that's just the reality of it. The guy oh, is true. not. It, it does just does not have a lot of. There is. It's. I compare him sort of to Dwayne Wade, and if Dwayne Wade was available on the trade market, no one would want him. Because a, you have to match up the salaries. Both of these guys make a lot of money, and b, they both make. Uh, they both demand the ball and command the ball and are not as good off the ball as they are when they hold the ball. So, uh, and they both don't play defense. You know, they play defense when they feel like it, and so. It's harder in today's NBA to to find that fit, especially when they're both getting older and they have diminishing skills because of their age. So I think Phil is wrong, obviously, for that. But at the same time, I think no one will want him regardless. <laughs> so that's just a reality. I mean, that's the reality of the league. Like. In, in general, like nobody wants a player like that. It's just hard to harder to build around a player because at this point of his career, everyone knows he's not where he was three or four years ago. And so, if it was three or four years ago and teams knew that he was still a top scorer in the league efficiently too, then people would be uh, people would be willing to deal with his his lack of defense and his lack of sometimes his his difficult decision making but at the, at this point in his career I don't think that he's going to have a lot of suitors especially with that salary what you're going to get back is like a second round pick for him and I think that was going to happen regardless of Phil or not so right. it, it right. just it looked bad and I think that's more so it was an ugly thing to do it's also not a it's just not a nice thing to do if a player plays for you you shouldn't be talking about how he should move on or how he doesn't do this or how he doesn't do that that i think it's unprofessional regardless of anything but i don't think it really i think it compounded a an already problematic situation so that they can't find a a market for him and he also has a uh a a no trade clause and so that already limits your suitors too because nobody he only wants to go where he either has a friend or it's a contender, and most contenders don't want him. And now the Clippers trading Chris Paul, they're, they're, that's another contender off the list that would even try or entertain the opportunity of trying to acquire him. So it's just such a limited feel for a player like him. No, it's true. It's very true. They're in a very difficult spot with that. And until they get that aspect figured out, I'm not sure that they can they can really find an actual direction of where this team uh, needs to go in terms of rebuilding. So that remains to be seen, but free agency is just getting started uh, on Saturday. So, you know, it remains to be seen whether something will actually happen and maybe there will be something different. 
Well, when the clock strikes 12, it will be, there will probably be a move. Hopefully not Timofey Mozgov, but there will probably be a move. So, um, <laughs> sorry, Mozgov. I actually do like Mozgov. I don't want to be a hater. But, I mean, that, oh, first, that was like that first day it was Joe Kim Noah. Quick question. We thought that, you know, the last time we talked, we talked about a little bit about free agency and what we might see and what might have happened. Did the Chris Paul thing kind of change your viewpoint of what might happen in free agency? Not really, because, I mean, at the end of the day, they can only acquire one player, really, if they're going to go after any person who's a free agent. So it can affect somebody like Millsap or, I mean, that's it. So it, I don't think it really does affect anything because Golden State is still better than everybody. Boston is on the East, is in the Eastern Conference. Cleveland's in the Eastern Conference. I'm not saying that they're going after free agents, but they're a contender. And, you know, teams that might be going after free agents like Miami or whatever, they're in the East. And so not a lot of the teams in the West are going to be pursuing free agents, like, from other teams who have, like, that cap space. When you think about it, the teams that have cap space, I think only maybe Sacramento and I want to say Phoenix. And Utah has only cap space up until, you know, people's contracts start kicking in from the the extensions that they sign, the rookie scale extensions that they sign other people to. So they only have cap space for so long because yeah. uh, uh, pretty much up until, I think, the draft, uh, up not the draft, the, up until free agency, they won't have cap space. So n- not, them not either. San Antonio is still trying to, like, create cap space. I don't know if they're still going to go after anybody now that Chris Paul's out of the running. But when you think about it, a lot of the West teams don't have the cap space to go after anybody. I mean, when you think about it, Portland is facing the luxury tax. OKC has, you know, Stephen Adams, Victor Oladipo extensions uh, hitting their cap this this year, this upcoming season. And they're probably going to be more focused on trying to extend Russell Westbrook. So a lot of the teams in the West are not in a position to probably only Minnesota is the one team that they are going to strike big, I think, and sign someone. Someone right. to be at least, you know, uh, either like Andre Godala is a six-man, like they're going to go after him. I don't think he's going to sign with them, but they're going to go after someone. They need a stretch for. I think they they really do need a stretch for. So that's going to be something that they have to pursue. Um, yeah, I think that's it. But the East is really where all of the free agency, I think the big moves are going to be because you have Boston, you have Miami, you have, you know, teams like Brooklyn and Philadelphia who aren't competitive right now, but they're going to offer probably go after. I think Brooklyn, like they did last year, is going to go after restricted free agents and see if they can, you know, force a team to make a decision, sort of like Otto Porter with Washington. Yeah. And most of the, and that's sort of where it ends. After that is, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much where where everything is at. And so we don't know what's going to happen, but. I think that Houston's signing, a, I mean, trade for Chris Paul doesn't really, doesn't really make a huge impact in terms of forcing something else, you know, some other kind of chain reaction. Right. What do you no, think? Fair. What do you think? Well, in terms of free agencies, obviously Boston again. That's where I'm looking at. Does Boston have the capabilities of not only getting Gordon Hayward and then adding Paul George? Which then makes them, you know, 
a real contender in basketball. So I'm, I'm very curious to see what happens there. And and if now with Houston making this trade, can they do anything else that can continue to put themselves in the conversation? And now that San Antonio, you know, allegedly what they were trying to do was get Chris Paul now that he's off the board, what are they going to do now in, in terms of what they need to do to try and rebuild the team around uh, Kawhi Leonard? That, you know, they have some questions to answer, and you, you've heard the stuff about LaMarcus Aldridge and whether uh, he's unhappy there or needs to be traded and stuff. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, fluid pieces that need to uh, be moved. And then, of course, Andre Iguodala. We'll see if a team blows him out of the water with an offer that he may decide to take because, you know, you never know if he's, if, if you're going to get like an 18 to $20 million per year offer at this stage of his career, he may take it. After winning two rings. So that's another one that's going to be interesting to watch. And Blake Griffin, we'll see if he stays in L.A. or if he decides to go elsewhere. And, you know, that's basically it. All these other pieces, uh, some of the lower free agents, what they get will be interesting. Uh, just based off of the cap being $99 million instead of 102 and teams trying to uh, reallocate their their money and trying to figure out ways to fit uh, in the cap without obviously hamstringing their franchises further than they might uh, they might have in the last couple of seasons when the money was uh, all over the place. So we'll see what happens. It should be interesting for sure. For sure. Um, <laughs> so yeah, thanks for coming on. You know, we made it quick to talk about these interesting trades that happen or this interesting trade that happened today. So this is the NBA trades podcast. You can follow Anthony on Twitter, AC spotlight nine five on Twitter. Uh, Check him out and see his random uh, Phil Jackson, angry comments. You could look through those old tweets (laughs) and see how he's feeling now. If he's feeling joy, I don't know. I haven't seen your timeline in a while, so. (laughs) <laughs> or well, today. I, I, I so, spent a lot of the last couple of hours laughing at Charlie Rosen's article. Uh, oh, I read that. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I mean, it, it, you know, and that's the funny thing about that situation is that those people are always going to rock with Phil regardless. Like, I mean, it's what it is. It, it, they're his boys. You know, he has his, his homies who believe. And I do, but like, you know, I believe in the triangle, but at the same time, I'm not crazy. So, <laughs> so it is what it is, right? I can't, I'm not, like, I, I, but just some of the things he wrote, I just was bothered by it. I mean, he pretty much said Lou Amundsen was better than Tyson Chandler, essentially. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, and, and that's the problem. If someone's going to just blindly say things, you know, to fit a narrative for Phil's, you know, the moves he decided to make, like, oh, he, everyone he traded was a bum, so that's why he traded them. And then he acquired these guys. And there was a reason why he acquired them. Because they're pretty decent. You know, they do the... And you're just like, wait, what? You know, and so... Yeah. Being... being try, Trying to be fair and honest about it. I mean, we could look back at all those trades. The Tyson Chandler trade was an absolute failure. Now, did, did were Tyson... The way Tyson and Felton have played since... Or the situations they found themselves in since the trade... Does it make the trade look less worse? Yeah, a little bit because... You know, Tyson has struggled to, you know, he's become a really bad contract on Phoenix's roster. 
and Felton can't even get a, a more than a minimum level deal. But at the same time, you know, you give up a former defensive player of the year and an all-star, and you get Jose Calderon and uh, two second-round draft picks and Samuel D'Alembert and and who was the other person? It was I don't remember. Oh, Shane Larkin. So when you Shane get Larkin when you get was, that, that's oh, like you know yeah. that that's not a good trade. And they traded J.R. Smith and Shumpert for a second-round pick. Like they're and, the ones uh, who gave up. up to be Lance Thomas, right? Yeah, they gave up the key players, and they they're the ones who gave up the key players and didn't even get a first-round pick in it. So. You know, I, I have nothing to say anymore. I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, yeah, Charlie's going to be Charlie, so I'm going to let him rock. Okay, so, yeah, it's the NBA Trace Podcast. I just totally messed up that ending, but you can follow Anthony on Twitter, look at his stuff, like I said before. Subscribe to the podcast, NBA Trades Podcast. We're on iTunes, yeah. Google Play, Stitcher. And you can like the page on Facebook, NBA Trades. And, yeah, peace out. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys.